Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2,129 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. Today we continue with our ongoing series of messages that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the past couple of years. This message is week 11 on a 14-week series from the book of James titled, Wisdom is Faith in Action. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Thanksgiving week, and I thought about diverting from James and having a special Thanksgiving message. But I, as I got thinking about it and praying about it, I decided just to continue on this week with James and look at how it can be also a Thanksgiving message. And we're continuing our series today on the Proverbs of the New Testament, which we know better as the letter from James. And the theme is, wisdom is faith in action. And last week we focused on the perils of playing God. And we covered warnings about judging others and warnings about having self-confidence to the shortage of relying on God. And today we're focusing on Thanksgiving, but a different angle on that as we explore warnings to the wealthy. And we'll learn why wealth should not be the primary source for our Thanksgiving or happiness, because it's so fleeting. So if you'll join me on page 1884, and then it goes on to 1885 in the Pew Bibles, we're going to read from James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 this morning. And as in the past, leave the passage open as we go through the message so you can follow along. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay your workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one. The one was not opposing you. As we get started this morning... Join me in the Wayback Machine. If you remember, I think it was Peabody and Sherman had a Wayback Machine, and they would go back in time. Well, we're not going back very far in time, just about 100 years to 1923. There was an elite group of businessmen who met in the luxurious Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. The roster included some of the most influential, famous, and wealthy moguls of the early 20th century. And the men among them were Charles M. Swad which was the president of Bethlehem Steel Corporation, Richard Whitley, president of the New York Stock Exchange, Albert Fall, the Secretary of the Interior under President Harding, Jesse Livermore, who was a Wall Street tycoon, and Ivar Kruger, who was the head of a global monopoly of match manufacturers. These heavy hitters controlled more wealth than the total assets of the United States Treasury at that time. Indeed, these men became the models of an entrepreneurial spirit and stellar examples of financial success. But let's fast forward to about 20, 25 years, 30 years into the future, and let's look back on their lives now. 
Schwab died $300,000 in debt in 1939, and that would equate to $6 million in debt for, in today's money. Whitney served time in Sing Sing Prison for embezzlement. Albert Falls served time for misconduct in office, leaving behind a ruined reputation. Livermore committed suicide in 1940, describing himself as a failure. And Kruger shot himself in 1932 after his global monopoly collapsed. Buried beneath this rubble of humiliation, defeat, crime, sickness, financial collapse, these men, along with a number of their colleagues, died a painful and pathetic death because their condition was painful and pathetic. Their wealth, their power, their prestige did nothing to soothe their personal anxiety and the guilt that they suffered in life. The rea reality is those of great influence and those who work hard can become wealthy. But it takes God-given wisdom and thanksgiving to have that supernatural humility to be able to manage wealth and your influence. Last week, James warned us against playing God and submitting to God's sovereignty in chapter 4, verses 11 through 17. And now James begins to rail against the pride that so quickly deludes the wealthy people of this world. James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6 drills in on this. In each case, James encourages God-enabled humility. In this passage, it's essential to note that James is not condemning wealth or those who have wealth, but those who are hoarding their wealth instead of building the kingdom of God. This concept is essential when applied to individuals who have wealth because they have two choices. They can help others with their wealth or they can exploit others with their wealth. Because they have control, wealth allows us to have control over other people. So what do we have, do with that wealth? And how is that influencing others? James begins by calling the wealthy readers to attention. And it's almost like James is shouting here. He says, now listen. And he used this exact same phrase when he addressed the autonomous businessman in chapter 4, verse 13. It's almost as though James expects certain people, because they're so enamored with their own wealth, so distracted by their own pursuits to be in this daze. So he must call out, now listen, as he addresses those who spent days as if God wasn't their Lord. And in verse five, chapter 5, verse 1, he addresses those who spend their money as if God was not their master. This passage is the first time that James directly addresses the wealthy. Two other mentions of wealthy in the letter to, to, from James. He mentioned in verse, chapter 1, verses 11 and, uh, 10 and 11, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. And also in chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, he says, listen to me. Very similar terminology here, but he's not addressing them quite as directly. He says, listen to me, dear brothers and sister. Hasn't God chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you dishonor the poor. Isn't the rich who, who oppress you and drag you into court? So based on these passages, and this is why it's so important not to just cherry pick verses out of scripture, 
but to look at it in its, not only its current context, but in its cultural context. Because if we just looked at this particular passage, we might walk away from James and his apparent ridicule of the rich to conclude that only poor people go to heaven and all the rich people go to hell. But that's not the case. Scripture teaches it's not the, a person's financial wealth or poverty that determines one's relationship with God, but it's their spiritual condition before God. Now, being outwardly rich or poor refers to what type of resources a person controls or has at their disposal. Inward wealth or poverty refers to a person's relationship with God and is expressed through their love for others. When we look at the things this way, they have four classifications. And if you look at your bulletin insert on the side where it has the four quadrants on it, we're going to look at this this, this morning. Let me help you explain it this way. I've included a description, a prescription for how to minister to people in each category, and a biblical example or two of each type within each quadrant. So we see physically poor, scripturally poor, or spiritually poor. And number two, we see physically rich and spiritually rich. Number three, we see physically poor but spiritually rich. And then number four, physically rich, but spiritually poor. As we look at these chart, this chart, you might see yourselves say, well, I'm definitely in number three because I'm poor or I don't have a lot of wealth. But spiritually rich in Christ is your inheritance. But let me challenge you, suggesting that what we consider poor in today's world and today's society is far different than the poor of James's day. Poor people of the Bible were not only homeless, many times they were helpless, they were destitute, and they were hopeless. They often had nothing to eat, nothing to wear, and nowhere to stay. And it reminds me of those beggars sitting along the road of Jesus' time where they'd cry out, have mercy on me, because they had nothing. They had to have somebody help them to do everything. Possibly the homeless camps in some of our large cities might approach that, but it was even different than what was in James's day. The reality is that most of us are blessed with more than we need, and therefore we are in a position to be able to bless others with what we have. That's assuming that we haven't fallen into the fourth category, where we're physically rich, but spiritually poor. Now, James addresses his rebuke to this fourth category. Verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5 is primarily looking at quadrant 4 here. And this type of quadrant is used for a lot of different things, from personality types to business scenarios. It's used quite often, but I thought it fit this particular scenario. So James is going to drill down on quadrant four here. James is five, one through six, targets unbelieving rich who are also oppressing the poor. These are the people that are mentioned in chapter two, verses six and seven. And what does he say to that group? He said, don't oppose or oppress the people. And here in verse five, or chapter five, verse one, he says, now listen, you rich people, 
Weep and wail because the misery that is coming on you. So the warning is clear. Trusting in their strength and riches instead of trusting in Christ will eventually and ultimately end up in disaster. And I think Psalm chapter 62, verse 10, sums it up so well. And this is that verse. Don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. And that's what James is getting at in this passage. Don't make it the center of your life. If God has blessed you with material resources, praise the Lord for that. But don't make it the center of your life. So after a general rebuke, James turns to specific reasons of why he's rebuking these people in quadrant four. James paints a grim picture of the wealthy unbelievers and their dark spiritual condition. And along the way, he points out the divine retribution or rebukes for this kind of behavior, and there's four of them. The first one is James rebukes the rich because they're guilty of hoarding their riches in verses 2 and 3. Not that they had riches. That wasn't James' point here. He doesn't say, well, because you're rich, you're wicked. No, because you're hoarding your riches. In those days, people could display their wealth in three ways. They could feast lavishly, they could dress extravagantly, and they could spend wildly. And as Solomon, the wisest man on earth, said in Ecclesiastes, there is no new thing under the sun. The same thing happens today with those who are wealthy but have their priorities incorrect. James targets these three areas of being flamboyant, lifestyle of the rich, pointing out how foolish it is to center our lives on these things because food rots or will go bad with disuse. Garments will get eaten by moths and precious metals will tarnish and corrode. Secondly, James rebukes the rich because they are guilty of cheating others. And this is real, the real heart of this passage. Instead of giving a fair wage to those who worked in their fields, the rich were cheated and not paid what they deserved or paid at all. And one sign of the selfish rich is their reluctant to pay, reluctance to pay their bills. And working in business as long as I have, you find out some of the most wealthy people or wealthy companies are the slowest on paying their bills. They stretch it out to the very maximum they can before they pay their bills, even though they have plenty to pay it with. And during the financial crisis of 2008, the world witnessed numerous super rich people who rewarded themselves with bonuses while their employees lost their jobs. And it's the unbelieving reality that the greediest people in the world are sometimes the most wealthy. And some of the most generous people of the world are those that would give up their last dime and have very little to give from anyway. Third, James rebukes the rich because they are guilty of their selfish lifestyle in verse 5. The wealthy wicked lived in the lap of luxury, indulging in the pleasures of fatting them, fattening their, not their own bellies, but their own hearts also. James paints a picture of a person trying to satisfy their deepest longings of their heart with extravagant spending, like a pig being fattened for the slaughter. These wealthy don't even know how much they selfishly gorge themselves on the pleasures of life. They're eating and they're drinking and their judgment upon those who aren't as wealthy as they are. Fourth, James rebukes the rich 
because they're guilty of taking unfair advantage of those who are righteous in verse 6. And this is an echo of chapter 2, verse 6, where James rebukes, goes to the highest level here. The rich are guilty of judging and putting to death the righteous people. And the word righteous here is a singular word referring to a kind of person, the righteous one or those who live right. And that category would not only include Jesus, who was the ultimate righteous one, but all those believers who, like their Lord, endured condemnation, were martyred for their faith, all at the hands of the rich and powerful, and those who oppress others. And it includes the righteous people who treated, were so treated brutally by their wealthy oppressors. And before we apply the principles of this, I would ask John and Rocky to help me out. And you might say, well, I'm not very wealthy, so I don't fall into that category. Well, I want to give each of you a million-dollar bill today. And Rocky says, well, I don't really want it if it's not real. And I said that it's probably about as real as the federal government's money. So as each of you now obtain and have instantly become millionaires, you've just won the lottery. And you're all millionaires. And if you want more than one million, what's a million here, a million there? It doesn't matter. I have, I have plenty more up here if anybody wants some additional millions in their bank account now. Thank you, Rocky and John. Appreciate assisting me. You guys can keep the rest. I have plenty. <laughs> James has strong words for the wealthy. And as we've seen, James uses some of the sharpest words. Oh, yes. I'm sorry, John. I meant to give you one out of my stash. <laughs> James has some of the most severest warnings for the wealthy, the physically wealthy but spiritually poor people. And before we shrug our shoulders and at this warning and pretend that we're exempt, none of you are exempt now. You're all millionaires. Instantly. Isn't that wonderful? I feel like the federal government up here. <laughs> but James gives us four practical examples of why we can't put our dependency or why our dependency on wealth is wrong. First, hoarded riches reap miserable dividends in verses 1 through 3. If we look into the face of the unsaved wealthy today, more often than not, we will see stress and worry, bitterness and emptiness. Wealthy people finally discover that their money can't purchase happiness or love or health. On the contrary, it often brings despair. No amount of wealth will prevent a terminal disease from setting in your body, and no amount of wealth will ever stop death. It may prolong it slightly, but in light of eternity, it's just a wisp, as we studied last week. Second, riches provide no relief for eternity in verse 3. And it sums up in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 4, which says, Riches won't help in the day of judgment, but right living can save from you from death. There is a day coming where the trustworthy accountant, just like Sam Miller, will conduct his ultimate audit, the trustworthy accountant. And on that day, the unsaved rich will be handed a bill that they can't pay. God will say, 
This is your bill. This is the invoice that you owe, and it's due now. And the wealthy will stand there with their millions and billions of dollars and say, it won't pay that bill. Their treasures, their earthly treasures become like ashes on the wind. Only God's righteousness, that free gift that comes by faith in Jesus Christ, can rescue a person from the day of judgment. The third is unjust acts of the unsaved are not forgotten in verse 4. James says here in the New Living Translation, the cries of those who harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of the heaven's armies. And it refers to God as the judge. He wages war against his enemies in Isaiah chapter 2, verse 12. Now, James' Jewish audience of the day that he was writing to would have been very familiar with this title, Lord of Heaven's Armies, because it's borrowed from a native Hebrew language and their culture, and they would have caught the, immediately the illusion of the coming end times judgment. Just as the voice of the oppressed Hebrews in the nation of Egypt cried out to God, and God rescued them in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 and 25, God, God hears the voices of the oppressed today. And the fourth is the lack of judgment on the wealthy today does not mean a lack of judgment on the wealthy tomorrow. And throughout this passage, James holds a warning of the end times judgment over the lofty heads of these tycoons. A believer's judgment is in the past. It's been addressed. It's been taken care of. Our bill is paid in full. We owe nothing because we have been redeemed. Christ bore our final punishment through his, the death on the cross. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, there is no condemnation. Our bill is paid. It's ripped up. It's thrown away. But the unbeliever's judgment is still ahead of them and it lasts for all eternity. And thus, for a season, it might look like the wealthy do prosper and have things that we would like to have, have opportunities that we would like to have, have medical facilities that we would like to have. But in the end, the evil deeds will be remembered. Now, if James illustrates the extremes of what we need to avoid, when Paul wrote to Timothy, he gives us what we should should latch on to. First of all, God is not concerned with our actual wealth. That's neutral. But with our attitudes towards wealth. I mean, this is just a small example. Jokingly, I'd say there's more, plenty more. Well, with God, there is plenty more. We don't have to worry about it. God will take care of us and has all the resources of the world. Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, so if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content. But people who long for the, to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from their true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. When our Perspective on wealth is not as it should be. That's what happens. But Paul goes on to write to his protege, Timothy, is God's not against wealthy people, 
but against our misguided priorities. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, a little later in 17 through 19, he says, Teach those who are rich in the world not to be proud or not trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives, to all, gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them who to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always be willing to share with others. And by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future that they may experience true life. Now, if we keep our attitudes correct and maintain a proper perspective as we become in quadrant two with our million dollars and our spiritually rich condition, we can bless other people. But this kind of attitude toward riches only comes from God-given humility and with a heart of thanksgiving. As we celebrate this Thanksgiving this week, let us keep in mind that wealth does not bring us thanksgiving. It might buy a turkey and potatoes, but it doesn't bring happiness or thanksgiving to us. Our thanksgiving is to be thankful for God, for what he's allowed into our lives, to be thankful for the family, for the health that we do have, to be thankful for all he's blessed us with. The cure for pride and arrogance of wealth is the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned at the beginning, during our final hymn, if you're able, bring your leaves up and pin them on to our Thanksgiving tree, one with your name on it and one with something you're thankful for. So we can not only rejoice for each of you, because believe you me, I'm thankful for every one of you. And we should be thankful for each other. And those things that we're most thankful for on the other leaf as we pin it on the tree this week, let us remember Thanksgiving, what it means, what a blessed nation we have to live in where we have the freedom to celebrate Jesus Christ all the time. In this special week of Thanksgiving, where our praises go back to God, that we're joyful, that we have so many blessings in our lives. I know we've been in James for quite some time now, and we three, I still have three lessons to go in James. But we're going to take a break starting next week for five weeks. We're going to focus four weeks on the four weeks of Advent and then a Christmas message. And then beginning in 2022, Lord willing, we'll finish up the three lessons in James. And those three lessons will be patience and suffering, patience through prayer, and patience in correction. And as we end our service today, turn your bulletin insert over to the other side this is a prayer of thanksgiving, so follow along as I read this this morning. O God, our Creator, who lives and reigns forever and ever, this thanksgiving, let those of us who have much and those of us who have little gather at the welcoming of the table of the Lord. At this blessed feast, may rich and poor alike remember that we are called to serve one on one another and to walk together in God's gracious world. Just a reminder of our Thanksgiving feast afterwards. There's plenty down there, so please join us as we fellowship together. Whether you're wealthy or you consider yourself wealthy or you consider yourself not wealthy, let us rejoice together at the table of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much for this time of Thanksgiving, this time where we can look to 
what you've given us so richly and so abundantly, Father, the wealth that you've poured into our laps, and it's just like getting this fake million-dollar bill today, that, but it's real. And not only is it real, it's poured in abundance much more than this. Let us rejoice for the blessings you give us each day as we have this special week of Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Day as we celebrate with friends and family. Let us rejoice for all of your abundant blessings to us, Father. Thank you for this time. Thank you for each person here today and those that are joining us online or those that couldn't be here. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's Word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend, as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.